Welcome to Open Banking Today and Tomorrow, a podcast powered by Rabobank. My name is Jeroen Broekema. I'm your host here live from Money 2020 Amsterdam, Europe. I have a great speaker with me here who is uh, Sejal Mehta, head of fintech and financial services practice at Arches Bernsen. Um, welcome, Mehta. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak here. Great, great you're, great you're taking the time. And given we're on here on Money 2020, I'm curious, uh, how, how were your days so far? It's absolutely fantastic. This is day three now. This is my first time at Money 2020. And uh, it's slightly overwhelming with everything that is going on. But you can pretty much plug into anybody and the conversations are enriching. It's really next level of uh, how you come together and collaborate. I haven't seen a better platform than this for that. Have you been speaking to a lot of people? A lot of people, all the way from uh, speed dating at Connections Lounge to uh, uh, visiting booths, uh, over drinks, over street parties. There are so many different forums and different levels of engagement. And as I said in my introduction, I said uh, FinTech Financial Services practice at Arches Burns, right? Just for people that don't know, just quickly know FinTech Financial Services. So do you focus on FinTech then or financial services, one? And secondly, Arches Burnson for who that don't know the, the business? Sure. So let me start with Arches Burnson. Um, so Arches, uh, we are a global executive search firm, which we are the sixth largest. And sixth the, largest. Yes. It's really big. And uh, we're the only exec search firm of that scale, which is uh, UK headquartered. Uh, we've got offices in over 30 countries and uh, a number of uh, uh, colleagues working in the fintech segment. Uh, apart from that, we do a lot of other uh, services all the way from board level hiring to uh, interim positions, or just connect, which is consulting, advisory, and leadership assessment. So it's a it's a whole bunch of services that we that we offer. Uh, to your specific question around fintech or financial services, so I I lead the uh, fintech subsector within financial services practice uh, because there is such a crossover between financial services and technology. We do have a technology practice as well, and I work very closely with them too on various positions. Okay, now I completely understand why this is the right place for you to be with so many fintechs around us. So that's that, that's really interesting. And it's also interesting, I mean, obviously I know Arches Burnson, but I didn't know it was that large uh, on a global scale. I mean, I know the Dutch practice of Arches Burnson. And um, the other thing I wanted to to ask you as an introduction is I, I looked at your, uh, your profile on LinkedIn and it's really interesting because you have management consulting and banking as a background. You're now into executive search and helping fintechs with all kinds of HR matters. So, how come? I think it's been uh, it's been one of the best decisions I've made through my 20 years of uh, of experience. I started with uh, with McKinsey uh, six years there, done PA consulting another six years, so 12 years of pure management consulting. Uh, got trained into how important people are because management consulting is a people business. So from from then on, I think the focus was always about how do we uh, equip people with the right kind of skills and uh, uh, technology to be able to move forward. And then moving into, into banking, where there was so much digitization happening, I was part of HSBC's digital innovation team, uh, looking at uh, fintech partnerships from the other side. So you used to meet at least five or six fintechs a week, really trying to understand how we could work together as a big bank with them. 
Uh, that was fascinating because when we would be evaluating uh, a fintech, it was not just purely on technology. We would also look at uh, the leadership team, uh, the vision that they have and how exactly do they want to grow. So again, the people focus was very, very uh, dominant. I think from there, uh, what really struck out for me was uh, if you don't have the life right leadership, it's very, very hard to run a good organization. So it's all top down culture and how that gets defined. I've also seen on the other side, a lot of uh, people suffering from uh, mental health issues, overwork, doing stuff for, for, for the sake of doing it. So I think all of those things start hitting you 17 years into management consulting and banking. I sort of took a break for a few months, reevaluated and thought I want to do a startup and work with startup scale-ups. So then I joined a fintech business. Again, everywhere that I've worked, what stood out was leadership and uh, the culture. And that's where when I started talking to Orchers, first of all, it was a bit of a shock when an exec search firm wanted to uh, wanted somebody with my experience. But uh, I think they were bang on because they wanted somebody who understands the industry, who's been there, done that, to come and help find the right leaders for the industry. So I think that's been a really, really good transition into executive search. And talking about the right leaders, right? What, what are the trends here? What do you see? So I wish I could I could say that there is a template for a right leader, but there isn't. There are disappointing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I come from a consulting background. I wish I could just draw up a framework exactly. for <laughs> for the right leader. But the the truth is, uh, there are elements that uh, define a good leader. And then they need to be customized based on what's the role, what's the stage of the organization, how developed they are, what their vision is. So I think there are a number of factors that, that play into it. I think the three trends which I, I see a lot in the market when it comes to fintechs at the moment, one is the whole growth angle, right? So a number of fintechs have grown very quickly. You know, there was this whole wave where it was just about valuation, not profitability. So it was what was the multiple and what was the valuation rather than what the profitability looked like and what was the return to uh, to shareholders. I think I, I see that trend changing a lot now where there is focus on uh, how are you creating value and how are you creating that profit because ultimately you have to go back to your stakeholders what that means is a lot of commercialization and a lot, lot more focus on how do you actually go to market with your proposition so a lot of founder-led businesses have amazing propositions very very sound platforms i think it's about taking it to market defining what that market looks like and actually reaching out, having the right kind of the commercial team. So a lot of focus on that founder to leader transition from uh, uh, to professionalize the business. So I think that's one one of the key trends. Yeah, before we move on yeah. to, sorry for interrupting, sure. but to number two and number three, on that number one, what kind of leader? Is that a different leader? Is that a different profile you're then looking for? Because for me, the step from you know profitability thinking to a person, like what's in between? Where are you looking for then? Uh, so again, it depends on the stage of the organization and the growth that they're looking to acquire. From experience, uh, what I would say is uh, the biggest element is you, you want somebody uh, to come in as the as the leader in the business, be the CEO, the COO, the CCO, and really be able to professionalize it. That's the word that uh, that most startups use now. They want somebody who's 
been scaling businesses in the past who understands what stakeholder management looks like who's got a bit of name in the market as well because when you stand in front of customers and in front of investors they should have that that weight to be able to talk through it so i think those are some of the qualities where a bit of transition which was my second trend actually which bit of transition that is happening is from fintech saying that we absolutely don't want any bankers or any people who worked in only big corporates to they want to blend now they want people who have had that experience of their organizations but also have transitioned and maybe over the last 5 7 years worked with smaller organizations so they understand the both sides of the coin and that's been super interesting uh, the appreciation the new found appreciation for uh, for for that experience um and and that actually leads me into the final trend which is uh, regulation the understanding of risk what i don't think the fintechs uh, are are saying that they don't want to take the risk right i mean it's about bringing in somebody who understands how to manage that risk and be able to prioritize where to focus based on risk assessment so a number of the positions no longer chief risk officer chief compliance officers job is defined as only the risk management job every leadership job is risk management and that's the only that's the only way you can you can be successful because uh, we're talking about most of these businesses being regulated and regulated businesses have to meet a certain standard because otherwise we've seen all the crises that has happened in the past <laughs> true and uh, do you see crossover from other uh, highly regulated industries or is it still mainly a searching within the financial services that's actually a really good question um so i was uh, recently uh, in a discussion with the financial services skills commission in the uk and uh, it's it's a government effort uh, to focus on what the future financial services skill set looks like and one of the key things key challenges with financial services is that it's a very closed segment when we are looking for people even technologists there are very few technologists who even want to transition over to financial services so how do we make this sector attractive is a big challenge and uh, how do we think about uh, skill sets rather than experience in sector so that uh, fungibility of skill sets is super important and there's much more work that needs to happen to make financial services a more attractive sector I mean, I, I've had so many candidates just saying no on the basis that oh, it's a regulated ent- entity. There'll be too much bureaucracy, too many uh, red tapes, and we don't want to be there. But it's the transferability of skills which is now more and more important. I wanted to do one other follow-up question on your uh, on your point of that. You know, in the past, you know, preferably, you know, stereotypically, of course, but preferably no bankers or people that have worked for ten, twenty years into, you know, incumbent financial institutions. Towards, you know, we actually like the blend. Is is what you said? What you said, right? Which I find really interesting, uh, because I can fully understand that you want you want it all, right? You also want them to be good at regulation. You want them to, you know, have this profit profitability mindset. So you're looking for a lot of things, right? And on top, and that's where the question is about. You want them also to be still very entrepreneurial, right? So you're asking a lot. Yes, we are, and you will probably not find everything in one person, and that's where the leadership team as a whole has to function. only a well functioning leadership team can be successful it cannot be just the ceo is great or the coo is great the whole team has to together be that whole 
and i think that's where uh, there is differences and so when we when we do a search for uh, for an organization we always spend a lot of time understanding the business and understanding what the leadership team the skill set that they need to bring so you need to balance that uh, and in traditionally as well you know you'll always find leaders who are very good at deal making they only want to focus on sales or commercial side as a ceo and they want to leave the rest of rest of it to somebody else or there are ceos who are amazing amazing with people so they just want to enable other people in the leadership team to do their jobs it's it's about what style you have and then you complement it with all the other people in the team Yeah, and then on top, you want a diverse team, of course. Uh, you know, diverse in skill sets, as you mentioned, but also diverse maybe in, you know, female, uh, male, and those kind of uh, diversity. So, yeah, it's it's. I can imagine it's quite a quite a complex and difficult job you have ultimately to find the right person for the right job, right? Absolutely, and uh, and as I said, it's always. Uh You you have to think of it from a lot of different angles. Where it's not just your executive team; it's your non-execs, it's your board, it's your independent advisors. All of these people form your leadership team. So how do you think of think of them together and uh, make choices around where do you want permanent people? Where do you want interim roles? Where do you want advisory roles? Yeah, because to to pick on that one, I actually didn't want to do another follow up, but now I do one because you you triggered me on that one. Because advisors, what what exactly is that role? Can you specify how what was the role of an advisor in your view? So a number of fintechs these days they bring in independent advisors who uh, technically may not have a board seat, but they sit they come and attend board meetings in advisory capacity, or they're brought in a day a week or three days in a month to come and solve a particular problem. So, for example, we've got uh, within Orgis, we've got a Connect team, Orgis Connect team, and we've got a portfolio of about 800 independent advisors. And what we do is, based on uh, the client challenge, we actually introduce them to independent advisors, and they can come and do it uh, on a very project by project basis. So they're really there to solve problems, or are they also there more from like an ambassador perspective, or when Both. they need funding, for example, new round, and want to have this distrust? Stamp of this batch of approval. Both. I was talking to this um, uh, blockchain uh, technology company, uh, which is looking to provide payments uh, on on blockchain, and uh, they wanted uh, a really, really good CTO. Now, in terms of the budget, they obviously they they wanted somebody with twenty five years of experience, a lot of that, and they didn't have the budget to pay for it. So, one of the solutions that they're alternatively looking at is. We we want somebody who has that gravitas, who can be in front of the investors, who can come up with the entire strategy and architecture, but they can hire a team to execute it, and that team could be in some other location as well as a technology team. Till the time the guidance is right, so it's just alternative solutions that you need to think about and be creative. The innovation comes in leadership, uh, in how you form your leadership teams as well, I guess. You've touched upon it already a little bit here and there, but I want to zoom in a bit more on fintech versus financial institutions. Where do you see the major uh, differences there in in profiles? I think the biggest difference is the mindset and the attitude. People are hired for attitude and mindset. They may not necessarily have uh, all of the skill sets. But it's how open are they to learning new in new environments, 
and building new cultures. And that to me is, is the most important difference between when you worked in a corporate, large corporate for a very long time, you're used to certain structures, you're used to certain policies, and I think you're also used to decisions taking a long time to be made. So how do you change that and you come into an organization which is fast-paced, which is ambiguous, but you're still able to operate and build a culture which is, uh, which is conducive and collaborative. So I think those, those for me, the mindset is what is the biggest, uh, biggest difference because anybody that you're bringing in who's got 15, 20 years of experience, you kind of know that they've got the skill set. Are they open to operating in a different environment though? And that is really interesting because I can totally understand why that's important, but how do you test that? How do you figure out in a conversation, like when you have conversations with candidates, how do you figure out they have this open mindset because it's hard to check, isn't it? It is very hard. And uh, we've got uh, a number of tools and different organizations uh, employ different tools. For example, as OGES, what we typically do is we have this whole leadership assessment matrix. So we get this, these people, we put them through a very rigorous assessment, uh, which looks at four or five things across the attitude, behavioral, all of those buckets. And then we compare that against various different benchmarks uh, through actually a two-hour interview uh, with, and go into detail. And because we are independent and we're not actually the hiring manager who's doing the interview, it's a, it's a very, very different setting. On top of that, a lot of organizations, they now have these methods. They go through eight or ten interview rounds and they have these different methods of uh, case studies and putting people and testing them on a very specific thing, which which would test behaviors, which would test attitude. Um, I know years ago when I had joined a consulting firm, we were very used to that way of uh, assessment, but more and more. More I, on the IQ side probably, or not also on the EQ side of things? Uh, both actually, both because uh, when you're a management consultant, you need to have the personality as well to be able to go and influence because you don't have the authority or you are in an influencing position there. Yeah, no, I can, I can, I can see that. So you are able with with these assessments and this long for, format of interviewing, you are pretty sure that there is this open mindset, not only in talking but in practice. Yeah, and also I think uh, as much as some people underplay it, uh, the compatibility with the existing leadership team is super important. You actually have to be able to. You have to like the person you have to be able to see that you can work with that person and so you can't undermine uh, that aspect and I know in a lot of uh, very factual assessments we sometimes undermine it but people need to get along it's like it's like a family let's assume for a moment uh, that I've worked for a very long time in a management consulting or for a bank or an insurer or whatever but um, you know a larger organization a more "Quote unquote professionalized organization, and I want to transition into into fintech. What, what would you recommend me? What would you? What's your advice? First of all, uh, get yourself on the radar of uh, of the relevant uh, search firms, relevant partners uh, in the fintech businesses. Start talking to people about uh, people who've made those transitions. Use your network. That's always the first thing. We all have the advantage of uh, LinkedIn's and social media these days. So start using your network because at the executive levels, it's you need to know who you are hiring. So, Be a guest on a podcast, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. So definitely use your networks. That's my that's my first advice. My second advice is uh, going back to the advisory roles. 
do try and uh, take on advisory roles for even smaller fintechs or even if it's not a fintech it's a technology firm but you think you can make a difference it just shows that you've got that attitude and you understand the business a bit more sometimes we we say say to some of our clients even if they're taking non exec roles on some uh, organize for some organizations it may be a health tech business it may be a technology business even it may be a non profit but they're trying to digitize start getting involved in all of those things and That's see the advisor roles as a stepping stone towards the the full time th- stuff yes and uh, non exec advisory roles they're always good stepping stone because it's at, it adds to your cv to get to that board level position because what happens with big organizations is very difficult to be the part be a part of the main board there are very few positions there so you are at the managing director level you may not have a board seat in the big organization because of the structure but if you do get that in other smaller organizations it just gives confidence to smaller smaller firms while they're hiring you that you understand what it means to be in that role so network activate your network be visible my words but that's your point number one second one is um, advisory roles do smaller projects to show that you're uh, show and learn other things i know i shouldn't be saying this or i should be but really speak to all the search firms all the search firms get on their radar that's network yeah introduce yourself just be on their radar once you come on our radar we will always think of uh, think of you i just had an example i spoke to somebody and uh, i've been speaking to this uh, this person for the last 12 months he is a senior advisor and i couldn't place him up until now because he was looking for a specific role today i met a ceo founder and i thought it's the perfect fit i sent an email to them to him and connected them so you never know where the opportunity comes from you'll have to be patient sometimes it's very quick sometimes it might take months Oh that's also very good advice because I think a lot of people are impatient right including myself and I think yourself and everyone almost wants to get things done quickly right so um just to to wrap these things up this was really interesting but before I'm going to thank you is there any key message you want to take away or you want to g- give away to our listeners I think uh, my my key message would just be don't be shy to put yourself out there don't self discount yourself from anything just go have the conversation the worst that will happen is a no but if you don't put yourself out there you will never have an answer that's great advice that's great advice in life in general and and also for this obviously uh, sejo meta the head of fintech financial services practice at archers burnson i thank you so much for your time and your valuable insights and contributions to this episode of the podcast so thank you so much thank you so much for having me So thank you for uh, tuning into this episode of Open Banking today and tomorrow. Remember, you can continue the conversation by subscribing to our podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. By the way, speaking of Spotify, starting today, you can now watch the video version of our podcast exclusively on Spotify. So if you're craving a more visual experience, head over to Spotify and check out the video version of this episode live from our studio here at Money 2020. Enjoy your day and thanks for listening. <music>